Um, last week, um, many of you will know, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday, uh, the day we celebrate the birthday of the church, when God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the disciples who were stood in the upper room, praying, 120 of them, hidden away, just waiting for what God was going to do next. When the Spirit came, they were compelled out from being a hidden people, a fearful people, a scared people, to being confident, courageous, and bold in proclaiming the good news, healing the sick, doing the things, and saying the things that Jesus did and said. That one day when the Spirit came in power was the beginning for the disciples of a new life lived by the Spirit. That one day led to a new life. I don't know um, about you, but one of the most significant days in my life was my wedding day. So 12 and a half years ago, uh, Nell and I were married. And on that day, we took, those, uh, took vows and made promises to love one another, to be committed to one another. And the intention that we have is, is to uh, live out the vows that we made on that day for the rest of our lives. I've only had one wedding day. I don't think I could afford a second. But, you know, it's, it's a day that we celebrate where we, we throw everything into it. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful day. We might have other special days along the way, anniversaries or birthdays or just particular events that we want to celebrate. But there's only one wedding day. But every day is lived in the light of that one day. That one day sets the tone for the rest of life. You know, not every day is like the day of Pentecost. There's only been one day of Pentecost. But every day since is lived in response to that for the Christian. John Stott, the well-known theologian and church leader, um, said this about the Christian life. He said, the Christian life is essentially life in the spirit. A life which is animated, sustained, directed and enriched by the Holy Spirit. And without the spirit, true Christian discipleship is inconceivable and impossible. So in other words, what John Stott is saying is, is that the, the normative Christian life requires us to be continually filled with the Spirit and to live by the Spirit. It requires us to have that day where we're filled with the Spirit. But it's not just about one day. It requires us to have one day that becomes the next day, that becomes the next day, that becomes a life. The Apostle Paul in, in, in Ephesians 5, he says, Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit, day after day after day. We celebrate the birthday of the church. We celebrate the day. Remember the day when the Spirit was poured out upon the church. But it's just one day that leads to a life lived by the Spirit. Pentecost is the beginning of that life lived in a new way. A life lived empowered by the Spirit. And over the next three Sunday mornings, we're, we're just looking at Romans chapter 8. Um, I think one uh, theologian described the book of Romans as the Himalayas of the New Testament, the kind of, you know, the, the highest summits. I'm not sure I totally agree with him, but I think the, the image is great that Romans 8 really is a peak in, within uh, the New Testament. It's a wonderful chapter. It contains promise after promise, truth after truth that reminds us of the power and the goodness of God. And I feel I've got 17 verses to talk about this morning, and I could take 17 weeks in doing so. You'll be relieved I'm not going to take 17 weeks speaking on uh, those verses. But it is a beautiful passage with great depth. And Paul in the book of Romans is, has, is looking really at um, two big themes. He's trying to bring together two groups that have fallen apart or fallen out, really. The Jewish Christians and the, and the Gentile Christians in the church that are in Rome. 
These two groups are disagreeing theologically, which is leading to kind of racial divides and, and all kinds of community conflict. And Paul's heart for this church is that they would be united around the person of Jesus. And he says this, this about them, this, this first big theme that he, he, he talks about in the book of Romans, is that the only way to enter into a relationship with God is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. That's in grace, uh, uh, by grace alone, in Christ alone, and through faith alone. Isn't it nice when you come home to a, a nice surprise? I don't know if anyone's ever had that. Maybe it's a, a gift from your husband or your wife or your children have washed up or it's just, you know, something comes through the post. Um, a few years ago, uh, we, it was my birthday and I, I, I like birthdays, and you always get gifts on your birthday, or at least, you know, I still do, which is really great. And I'd been away, uh, in, I lived in Cheekspur at the time in Gloucestershire, and we, I'd been at a church conference that day. And, um, and on the way home, uh, I had a phone call from my wife, uh, from Nell, saying, Chris, we've had a letter through the post. And when she starts a sentence like that, I'm thinking it's either a speeding fine, a parking ticket, or a bank charge of some variety. You know, I'm quite pessimistic when it comes to post coming through the door. Uh, maybe that's from experience, I don't know. Um, maybe not of the first one. No, actually, that's not true. Uh, anyway, so this letter had come through, and I said, well, what, what, what letter is it? And she said, well, um, I've had this letter from Nectar. You know the Nectar points you get from Sainsbury's? And they've said that we've won a million Nectar points. I said, it's definitely a scam. It's definitely a scam. There's a catch in there somewhere. What have we got to buy, do, sign up for in order to get this? And she said, what? Well, it says that we, we won a competition. I said, what competition? She said, I have no idea. So anyway, so we get home, log on to the computer, log on to Nell's Nectar, uh, Nectar Points account. Sure enough, in our account is a million Nectar Points. Now, a million Nectar Points sounds impressive. It's still quite a lot of money worth of stuff. But it's not a million pounds by any stretch of the imagination. And, but that means that we've suddenly got all this stuff. And what we found out happened is Nell had simply given her Nectar card into um, uh, when she'd bought petrol at a BP garage. And they'd scanned her Nectar card. And, and what we didn't know is they'd entered us into a prize draw and we'd won a million Nectar points. A free gift that we didn't deserve, really. But they were giving it away. And grace is a free gift that we've not earned. It's a free gift that we, we've not deserved. It's a free gift given to us by God that, in fact, if anything else, we've done something that should mean we won't get it. In that our lives have been lived at times in a way that's not God's way, that we've maybe turned away from him. And Paul's saying all the way through Romans is that even though we've lived this way, even though we've disobeyed God at times, even though our minds and our hearts have been just all about, you know, me, I, 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 God says, I love you. I give my son for you that you might have life in his name. Doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter how far you've fallen, doesn't matter where you've walked, I want you back. And I'm not, as Mark said, you know, it's not that you've discovered that you've done wrong and that you're, you're thinking, I'm going to come and find God. It's God saying, I'm passionately pursuing you that you might know me. The only way to enter a relationship with God is by grace alone that undeserved gift that God gives to us. And we do it in Christ alone. Jesus said, anyone who wants to come to know the Father, come through me. Everyone is welcome. And he demonstrated that by going to all those that the religious people of the time, the Roman rulers of the time, so the secular authorities despised and disregarded. 
anyone who wants to come can come, but we have to come to Jesus. And we do it through faith alone, by putting our trust in Jesus. And what that means is faith is an action. It's not just a belief. It's not just that we have kind of some thought in our head that we we kind of think, yeah, I agree with that. It's that we put that into practice. So it means putting our trust in Jesus. A few years ago, I did a skydive, 13,000 feet. Um, I was showing some of our life group the photos yesterday. Um, I would show them the video, but there's at one point where I'm having to edge to the edge of the plane where I may have said something that I would regret repeating in public. But that's because I'm 13,000 feet up in a plane this wide looking over Salisbury Plain. I felt that was, you know, permissible. Apparently, my wife disagrees. Anyway, she is always right in those kind of things. Um, don't go any further. So, you know, at that moment, you, know, you skydive, I'm, I'm attached to a man called Dane. Now, Dane has seen battles. He looks like he's seen battles. He's certainly done more than a thousand skydives. I, at that point, had done none. My faith was solely and surely in him, in his ability in his right hand to pull a, a, a I think a ripcord, is it called, <laughs> that the parachute would go off. Um, but I also have faith in this other thing, that he's going to jump out of the plane, and I'm going with him. You know, we, to put faith in someone is to trust that they'll do what they say they'll do. When we put faith in Jesus, we trust that he will do what he says he will do. And we live our life in response to that fact. We believe him when Jesus says, I'll forgive all your sins. We believe him when he says, I'll set you free. We believe him when he says, if you follow me, I'll transform the direction of your life. No longer will you just be a fisherman, he said to Peter. You'll be a fisher of people. That's what it means to trust and put our faith in Jesus. So our relationship with God is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. And because of that, we're all equal. Paul's saying to this, these two groups, you're all equal in the sight of God. You all need Jesus. You all need his grace. You all need to trust in him. That's the big uniting point. And it comes to this point in Romans 8 where Paul says, because of all that's happened, that first word, therefore, because of all this, because of the way that you've turned away from God, but that God has come after you and pursued you, and because of grace shown by God, because of what Jesus has done, and because you've put your faith in him, therefore, this is how we live life in the Spirit. Because of the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, because of the day of Jesus' death on the cross, because of the day of the resurrection, we live a life in the Spirit. Paul is talking here in Romans 8 about life in the Spirit. So what is this life in the Spirit? Well, I want to focus this morning on the last three verses. So we're going to head there quite quickly. But before we do, we pass some really important landmarks on the way in the passage. So if you've got a Bible, do keep open uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 17. And we're going to run through just uh, three things that the Spirit has done. So on the day, the things that were done. So on my wedding day, I was legally married. I signed a document that proves that I'm married. I had a celebration witnessed by others. There are things that happened on that day that won't be repeated. But every day I try to live out something else. So there are three things that we find before we get to the last three verses that the Spirit has done. And the first thing is just this wonderful truth in verse 1. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Listen to how the message translation puts this. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. 
A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. On that day that we trust in him, on that day, Jesus takes our condemnation. He takes from us. He, he who had no sin, he who had done nothing wrong, took all our stuff that we would be free. We need fear nothing. We are totally free. There is no condemnation. And for some of us, we know, as the message describes it, that continuous low-lying black cloud. And today, the Spirit comes to blow that away. Today, the Spirit comes to lift that from our shoulders. We are declared not guilty. It's grace because of what Jesus has done. I wonder if we know that feeling of condemnation, that low-lying black cloud. I'm never good enough. I could never be who God made me to be. I don't think God could ever love me. My past is too dark. My struggles are too difficult. You know, the life of a Christian is meant to be lived under the sun of God's presence, under the light of his favor, not the cloud of condemnation. And today God comes to say, if any of us know what it means to be under the cloud, he comes to blow that away. There is no condemnation for those in Christ. The Spirit comes to set us free from that law of sin and death. We're to be freed from a fated lifetime of brutal tyranny, the message says, at the hands of sin and death. That is great news. That is great news. For those of us who know what that is, to be under condemnation, we are free. The second thing we find on the way through is in verse 6, where Paul says this, "The, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Jesus said, come to me, all you are heavy laden and burdened, and I'll give you rest. That's the kind of life and peace that the Spirit comes to bring. God lives within us. The Spirit dwells within us. He comes to bring peace. Peace with God, peace with others. He comes to bring peace that passes understanding. That in the midst of the storm, we know that God is constant and with us always. Life and peace to those who live by the Spirit. That's what the Spirit has done, and that's what he intends to do in us. And thirdly, before we get to uh, the last three verses, um, the Spirit comes to ensure that we know we have a future hope. That this life isn't it. Verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives within you. The spirit guarantees our inheritance. We are declared not guilty. We are set free. In this life we know we'll have trouble. You know, we're not guaranteed anything in this life in one sense other than the presence of God and the power of God with us as we journey with him. But we're guaranteed that eternal hope, that future hope that one day the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. That Jesus will return and we will be with him. That just as Jesus was raised from the dead, that same spirit that did it lives within you and me today. If we follow Christ, that same spirit that raised him from the dead lives within us. And so we can say with confidence, nothing is impossible with God. No situation is too far gone that the resurrection power of the Spirit living within us can't turn that around. Ultimately, the ultimate enemy, death, is defeated because we will rise once more with a new body and a new hope. That is the future hope, the Christian hope that we have in Christ that's affected to us by the person of the Spirit. 
So let's come to verse uh, 14 to 17. I think um, these are the kind of the heartbeat, if you like, of what, of what Paul is trying to say about being led, uh, living by the Spirit. Let me just read them to us again. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For we did not receive a spirit that makes us a slave again to fear, but we received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. The key thing I want to say today is this. Living life by the Spirit, day by day, means being led by the Spirit, day by day. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Here we have a picture where Paul is pointing back to the Exodus. He's pointing back to the great story of the people of Israel, where they left Egypt, went through the wilderness to the promised land. This is just the big, the big theme that Paul is pointing to. This is their big story. This is their, this is their heritage. So the people of Israel are led out of Egypt through the, uh, through the wilderness into the promised land by, by God, who showed himself in either a pillar of fire or a cloud of smoke. So this dramatic kind of journey that was led, but the presence of God was always with them. And Paul is saying the presence of God, the personal presence of the living God by his spirit is with you always because he lives in you. The spirit lives within us. If we follow Christ, the spirit lives within us. If we follow Christ, the spirit wants to lead us. Living by the spirit, Paul says, is being led by the spirit. So how are we led? Well, the symbol of the picture of the wilderness is symbolic of our life today. And as we follow Jesus, we feel like sometimes we're stumbling around in the desert, not really quite sure where we're headed. But we know we have the presence of God with us, or we're promised his presence that will never leave us or forsake us. And occasionally, when the battle gets tough and when life in the desert isn't much fun, it can feel really tempting to go back to Egypt. Have we ever felt that? The Christian life's just too hard. I don't think I can do this anymore. Temptation just seems too appealing. So we suddenly think with nostalgic thoughts of our time back in Egypt. Life was great, wasn't it, there? We ate well, we were fed. Never mind we were whipped and beaten and we had to make bricks out, of, bricks out of clay with no straw and we had working conditions that would shock most people today, um, that our families were split up and abused and hurt. But we, you know, it wasn't quite as hard as it is now. That's what the Israelites kept thinking and they kept grumbling about. And what they wanted to do was make themselves a captive again. But Paul said, no, the Spirit comes not just to set us free, but to keep us free. So maybe we've struggled in the past with all sorts of things, but the Spirit comes to keep us free. We're led by the Spirit through the wilderness, through everyday life, through the workplace. The Spirit is with us because he lives inside of us. And to be led by the Spirit means that we listen for the Spirit's voice. I think that's something that's so important, is is that God cares about everyday life, cares about what we do. You know, these are like divine whispers. Um. God speaks to us about our character or a task we're doing or a direction he wants us to take. How do we know what those promptings are? How do we discern them? How do we know it's God, not just our imagination? Well, I want to give you some examples. Um, last week, I uh, went to a funeral of a dear friend uh, of mine's dad. Uh, we'd known him for a long time, and he'd, uh, he'd sadly died of a, of a long illness. And, and at the funeral, I, I met his granddaughter, Chloe, who's a really good friend of mine. She used to be in our youth group. Um, and Chloe... Um, 
has kind of had a, quite a challenging teenage life and is now living in, in Norway. She's working in Norway with her boyfriend. And she'd come back. And we were just leaving the kind of uh, cup of tea and coffee after the funeral to head back to London. And just as I was walking out of the room, I saw Chloe, and I just felt God say to me, I want you to go and encourage her. So I just walked over to Chloe, and I said to, I said to her that how much I, I, I admired what she was doing in going to Norway, in stepping out and working there and, and trying and exploring new things, and just how proud of her I was and how much we loved her and we you know, thought of her and we were praying for her. And just to see a, my dear friend Chloe, her face light up. And she said to me, Chris, you have no idea what those words mean little prompting from the Spirit. Just go and encourage her. I didn't know what to say, so I just spoke, probably for too long. But you know, just to see the light in her face, that's enough for me, to know that I've done something that God asked me to do. How about this? Um, when I, uh, was, I felt God call me to become a vicar, that came from I was sat in a talk that I didn't want to be at, uh, where someone was, a bishop in fact, was talking, um, I thought, just about youth work in the Church of England, and I was really zoned out. And the bishop said one thing, he said, do you know what my heart is? I long for young, ordained, pioneering missionary leaders in the Church of England. And I went, ooh, and God went, that's you. That was it, little prod. And so that began a process for me that leads me to be here today. Just a little prod from someone's sermon. And I think for the bishop, that was just a throwaway aside that he made. God spoke to him, spoke to me through that. Um, Nell and I last year were praying uh, for our street. We pray for our street quite regularly, uh, for our neighbours and for those who live in the flats and the houses around us. And, and we were praying about Easter. And we felt like, you know, at Christmas everyone goes nuts. You know, even at Halloween people are going door to door, you know, wanting sweets, trick or treating. But no one really celebrates Easter. So we just prayed and asked God, what, what could we do in our street to celebrate Easter? And, um, and God just gave Nell an idea. The idea was, why don't we give all of our neighbours a little pot plant with some chocolate eggs and go door to door with a little card. So we did it. And then we did it again this year. And because of that, the conversations we've had with our neighbours have been amazing. People wanting to come and see us, inviting us for coffee. I got stopped in the street again yesterday for someone saying, I'm so sorry I've not sent you a card to say thank you for what you did. I said, yeah, it's fine, it's great. It just came from an idea that Nell had as we were praying. Just an idea, just an idea. It wasn't anything dramatic. On Saturday morning, I was reading my Bible, um, reading in Proverbs. Proverbs is a really dangerous book to read if you, if, if you don't want God to challenge your character. So if you are quite happy with the way you are, don't read the book of Proverbs. I made the error, the schoolboy error, of reading the book of Proverbs, or bits of the book of Proverbs. And sure enough, as I read it, God spoke to me about something in my character that needed changing. Just three verses. I wrote them in my journal. I thought, crumbs, that, that really is true about me. I really need to do something about that. I need to pray it through. I need to confess. I need to repent. Just through reading three verses in the morning. Those are the promptings of the Spirit. That's how we're led by the Spirit. Imagine on a Monday or Tuesday or after bank holiday, we walk into work. We've got the dullest meeting of all time planned. Three hours of planning something we don't care about. Imagine we just go, Holy Spirit, would you come into this meeting through me and can we make this the most exciting meeting of the week? Is there anyone in this room that I can just encourage? Anyone in this room I can pray for? Anyone in this room that I can speak to? Anyone in this room that I can bring life to? Is there anything on the agenda that looks really awful that I can change? Anything I can bring to any other business? That meeting suddenly changes. That, the whole 
direction of that day, maybe even that week, maybe even that month, maybe even your career changes because you've just said, Holy Spirit, today, is there anything you want to do? That's what it means to live life by the Spirit. That's what it means uh, to follow him. And it's really simple. Imagine what difference that could make to us in our family life. Imagine what difference that could make to our bank holiday tomorrow. Being led by the Spirit, genuinely, can change everything. There's so much more we could say about this, what, this passage, even these three verses. The Spirit comes to affirm our identity as children of God, that we're adopted and chosen, given full rights as an heir, that we have such a hope for the future. The Spirit comes to bring all of these things as we trust in Him, as we live in Him. But I think today the key thing is this. Living by the Spirit is being led by the Spirit day by day. All of us can do it. We don't need degrees in theology to do that. When it says in the book of Proverbs, be careful what you say. When it says in the book of Proverbs, be careful what you look at. When it says in the book of Proverbs, how are you handling your money? Those are just three things that can challenge us, aren't they? When we just look at someone and think, you know, maybe I could just bring a word of encouragement. When we see our neighbors and think, maybe it'd be just nice to invite them around for a coffee. Those things, promptings of the Spirit, those divine whispers that we can listen to each day. So to sum up, the Christian life is one lived to the full, and it's lived by the Spirit. The Spirit comes to assure us there's no condemnation. The Spirit comes to remind us of the eternal hope we have. The Spirit comes to give us life and peace. And the Spirit comes to lead us day by day. So the day of Pentecost, the day of his power, is lived out each day as we're continually filled with the Spirit. Why don't we stand together?